Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Morning. So Chris and I are going to tag team this morning, and uh, Pastor Travis asked us to talk about spiritual warfare. And um, so it's a pretty interesting topic, and basically, don't worry, we're not going to get too heavy into it. (laughs) Um, Just talk about basically how it's going to pertain to you. So I'm pretty excited to talk about it because it's a really interesting subject, and um, I find sometimes there's a lot of mysticism, almost like a Christian mystique around uh, spiritual warfare. So hopefully we can kind of clear some of that up this morning because God isn't interested in hiding things. He always brings the light, right? He always reveals it. It's not mysterious. It's not secretive. Um, it's, it's plain, and, and God makes his truth available for us. So let's just quickly pray, and then uh, we'll get right into it. So thank you, Father God, for your church. God, I just am so grateful and so blessed to be here this morning, Father, and we just thank you for your spirit. We thank you that for your Holy Spirit that dwells and rests among us this morning, Father God. We thank you, Father, for your love that covers over us. God, and I just thank you that you would open our minds, open our hearts, and open our ears to hear what the Lord, you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of Chris and I's message this morning is Understanding and Conquering the Battlefield. So what I want to do is sort of outline what that battlefield is for you guys um, and talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and where that battle happens. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the, you know, how the enemy comes at us and uh, what we can do about that. So it's a broad term, like I said, but basically it's just a, it's a blanket term for when we deal with the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan's kingdom. And when I was a kid growing up, I remember I used to hear like spiritual darkness and like um, spiritual warfare. And I thought it was all like casting demons out and people like going crazy and, you know, exorcism and that sort of thing. Um, that's actually deliverance. That's not even spiritual warfare. And uh, Christ has victory in every area. And um, before we get too far into it, I don't want anybody to feel like this is a scary subject or it's um, a place where we have to be worried or nervous because that's fear. And God doesn't operate in fear. He always operates in love. So just before we get started talking about this, I want to remind you guys that Christ has won the battle that Christ is victorious. All hail King Jesus, right? He's on the throne. This is this is a battle. This is a war that has been won. He is victorious. And so we don't ever approach this subject from a place of uh, trepidation or defeat. It's always from a platform of victory. We're not hiding behind a bush. We're, we're conquering heroes on top of the mountain looking down, okay? So that's where we're coming from as Christians. If we're in Christ, we're in victory already. And so we've already won the war. And so what happens is that we end up in these skirmishes. We end up in these battles. And so we want to talk about where do these battles happen and how does uh, the enemy try to trick us and attack us into thinking that we aren't victorious when really in Christ we are. We have complete victory. For greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world, right? Awesome. So Satan's kingdom is made up of the majority of it is the third of the angels that fell, that chose to rebel against God in creation. You can read about that in Genesis. And it's very organized. And it's not like the demons are just running around there and, and they're all like, <laughs> you know, like, there's somebody. 
you know, they're, they're very organized and uh, almost in a militant fashion. And they have one goal and one purpose. And when anybody is organized with one goal and one purpose, it's, it's um, a force to be reckoned with um, in, in any sense of the word. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is John 10.10. 10. Says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And this is Jesus talking. And he says that I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So here he says that the thief doesn't come. And he was talking about the sheepfold. Right before this and right after this, he's talking about the good shepherd himself being the shepherd. So when he's talking about the thief, he's talking about Satan. And he's not talking about Satan attacking the unsaved. He's talking about Satan attacking the sheep. We're the sheep. Because Jesus is our great shepherd. So here he's speaking about how Satan comes after us as Christians. So he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay, that's, that's the purpose of the kingdom of darkness. He's not interested in just making you have a bad day. You stub your toe, Satan did not do that to you. <laughs> he's not interested in just, you know, uh, making you wish, you know, you had uh, more proper footwear. It, he's here to, to steal everything you have, to kill everything you know, everything that's good, and to destroy everything. He's not interested in just making you have a bad day. He wants to crush you, and that is the entire purpose of the kingdom of darkness. And so it's good to understand that because when we flirt with sin or, you know, go somewhere, watch something, or do something that we know that the Bible speaks, uh, warns us against, it, it's, not, it's not a cute little flirtation. It's, it's the first step into total and utter destruction. So that's why we take it so seriously, and that's why sin is so serious as well. So what I want to talk about is how does Satan steal, kill, and destroy? What What is his strategy? How does he go about it? And so for that, I really want to look at 2 Corinthians 10, and we're just going to do one verse at a time. Yes, Brian's the best. Okay, so it says, for though we walk in the flesh, you and I, people, poke your neighbor, see if they're flesh, Solid. Good. Okay. So although we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So here we see the first thing. Our battle is not in the flesh. I'm not going to walk up to David and punch him in the face and be like, you need Jesus. Actually, that reminds me of this awesome story that I heard in Bible college. I think actually Pastor Travis told me. So there's this guy. He was like a biker. A really big guy. Tattoos. Enormous. And uh, I don't know, was he part of Hell's Angels or something? Yeah, he would, like an enforcer, he's like, beard, you know. Anyway, nothing against beards, Ben. So uh, he got saved and gave his heart to Jesus. And he was really excited to tell other people about Jesus, but he just didn't really realize how. So apparently he was out on the street, street witnessing. And he found this guy and he grabbed him by the stuff of the collar. He's like, you need to repent and give your life to Jesus. And the guy was like, okay, okay, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't hit me. So apparently he hadn't gotten a second Corinthians yet where it says we don't war according to the flesh. So that means that our battle isn't against people. It might feel like it is sometimes, you know, um, but we're not fighting people. Now, and I'm going to put that in there, we're not arguing with people. So when that fighting can be physical or that fighting could be verbal. So our, our battle really isn't against our neighbor. Our battle isn't against our spouse. It's not against our kids. It's not against our friends or 
you know, our pastors or it's we're, we're not fighting or attacking people. That's not where the battlefield is. That's not where we've said it. And scripture says here, we don't war according to the flesh. So, um, and I want to just skip really quickly over to Ephesians 6. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. No. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So here we're just seeing it again. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting my neighbor. My neighbor might do something stupid, but my battle really isn't against that person. But who do we fight then? So we're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, okay? So this is just uh, exemplifying again that we are really fighting against the devil and his cohorts. We don't fight against people. It, now, it may feel like that, but that's not where our, our real fight is. And, and that includes taking scripture and throwing it in people's faces. You know, sometimes people like to use the word of God as a weapon. It's meant to be a weapon, a very, very effective one, but against the powers of the enemy, not against your neighbor, right? So if, um, I don't know if you had Christian parents and you're like, uh, you know, son, daughter, pride cometh before the fall. Or, uh, you know, their favorite one, like, honor your mother and father. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, although those things are true, they're not meant to be used as a weapon against one another. The, the, the word is meant to be used as a weapon against the enemy. All right, so let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, verse 4. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we have weapons. Isn't that awesome? Let's just stop and think about that for a second. We as Christians have weapons, and that's an amazing thing that God has given us. And they're not carnal. So again, it's not like I'm not using my fists or, or a baseball bat or something to go <laughs> get somebody. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So our weapons that God has given us against the kingdom of darkness, they're mighty. And I think that's amazing because sometimes we get this... Um, it's very prevalent in our culture, you know, this whole good versus evil, light versus dark, you know, Thanos versus the Avengers. We're all like, it's very, it's very close, you know, so the evil's really bad, but the good's a little bit better. And so they try really hard and they almost fail, but then yes, we win in the end. Let me just put something to rest. That is not the way that it is with God. Satan's down here, like, down here he's like like a worm with no arms and legs and then god is god <laughs> okay it's not like it's a battle that's just gonna be won in the end by jesus yes we made it it god is so big so powerful he is all powerful let's let's just let that sink in like god is all powerful and satan is this like annoying little created thing that's like i you know, and God's like, no. You know, it's, it's not like it's a tiny little thing. And when the Bible says that when Jesus defeated death and hell, he paraded Satan and, and death and hell in front of God. And um, if you look historically, sometimes when this would happen in the past, just to embarrass them, they'd make them all naked. Um, you know, conquering king would strip down other conquered king and 
parade them in, through the streets. And so that's how I always like to imagine Satan and his enemies. You know, they're just parading in front of God, completely stripped down because Christ is the victor. Like, it's, it's not a little victory. He didn't just won. He really won. He took it way, way over. He's way, way stronger. <laughs> and the other part of this verse says they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. So I just want you to look at the word they're pulling. So that's a verb. That's an action. So we have a role to play. We have action to take in this battle. There's something for us to do. So the battle with Satan isn't with other people. And it's not between Satan and God. That battle's been won. Remember, Christ is victorious, right? So what's left? So if it's not in the body, and it's not between God and Satan, where's the battlefield? Where's this, where are we fighting? What's left? So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5. So we don't wrestle in flesh and blood. But we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the biggest battle, the most prevalent battle that we face as Christians is the one that happens right between our ears. It's the one that happens in the soulish realm. It's the battle for our mind, our will, and our emotions, and the mind and will and emotions of other people. If Satan can influence how you think, he can control what you do. Everything that you do, everything that you believe about yourself starts with thought and emotion. And so if he can get a grasp on that, if he can believe, if he can get you to believe a lie about who you are, about who somebody else is, about how they see you, how you see yourself, how you see God, then he can control everything about you. And so when he comes to attack us, he comes to bring arguments. Well, that person doesn't actually like you, or nobody actually really likes you. You're not really that good of a person. Did God really forgive you? High things that exalt himself against the knowledge of God, that can be puffed up pride. Well, I mean, the scientists are pretty accurate with evolution. Did he really create the world? You know, bringing arguments. And bringing every thought into captivity. So there's thoughts that are going to be brought to you all the time by the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes they come from our own pain um, and the way that we were brought up. And sometimes they come from Satan's kingdom. And so this is where our battlefield is. This is where everything is going on. Um, this is where there's no peace sometimes, you know, and, and thoughts are just swirling and swirling and swirling. And it gets exhausting sometimes, doesn't it? Like all these thoughts that we think all the time, all these barrage of, of ideas or even emotions that come to us, um, and they come from all different places, and sometimes from other people. But again, our wrestle isn't against that person. It's you know, they're being influenced, and Satan's using them to influence us, and then now we feel terrible, you know, um, maybe Chris, you know, my husband, he has some, he has a pain, a pain point, or maybe Satan's been speaking to him all day, uh, your wife's too busy for you, she doesn't actually love you, she's too busy, she's too busy, so then, um, so he's already kind of feeling that, you know, maybe without even realizing it, and then I come home, and I say, hey, I got to go out tonight, Kaylee and I are going for a bike ride, this didn't actually happen. I'm just using it as an example. I mean, we actually went for a bike ride, but this argument didn't happen. So say, and then Chris is like, you're never home. See how easy that is? Yeah. And now we're in an argument. 
And now he's in a bad mood and I'm in a bad mood and our peace is gone. And now both of us are wide open to fear and rejection and all sorts of fun stuff that Satan wants to bring to us because we've got to take those thoughts captive. We've got to stop it right at the door, right before it can come in, right? And so that's where the battlefield is. And so that's what Chris and I really want to talk about today. So I just want to skip back really quick to Ephesians 6.11. Now that we know that the battlefield is in the mind and that Satan comes with thoughts and arguments, I just want to drive that home a little bit. When it talks here, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, it's interesting that it says wiles. And you know, this scripture continues into all the armor of God, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit against the wiles specifically. It doesn't say that we're using all this armor to protect ourselves against like this, you know, demonic onslaught and we're going to be like battling out um, or whatever we're doing it's against the wiles so it's very interesting what exactly are we fighting we're fighting the wiles of the devil so i looked it up and in the dictionary wiles are a strategy or a trick intended to ensnare or deceive isn't that interesting so why do we put on the armor of god to stand against the lies of the devil that's where the battlefield is. It's against the lies of the enemy that he brings to us, against the, the onslaught of, you know, your father never loved you and, and you're never going to be any good. And if you would just pull up your bootstraps and work harder, then you would be accepted. And all this stuff that God never intended for you to carry, we accept as truth because we believe a lie of the enemy. And that's where the battlefield is. It's in the mind it's in our heart. It's against our will and our emotions that Satan is, is bringing that attack against us. And so I'm going to switch it over to Chris now, and he's going to um, continue on with that. Thanks, babe. You're always so much, so much more funnier than I am. I just can't pull that off. Don't laugh. That's her thing. Yeah, we're tag-teaming on this. It's pretty awesome. I love watching my wife preach. She's so animated. So one of the wiles that the enemy uses, there's a couple of them, we're going to go over them. The first one I'd like to talk about is iniquity. Now, everybody here has probably read about, what iniqui about iniquity in the Bible, and, and they're like, okay, yeah. But most Christians will associate iniquity with sin in the sense that they are interchangeable. So they read in the Bible iniquity, and they're like, oh, that's sin. And then they read sin, and they're like, that's iniquity. See what I'm saying? And they're actually two very different things. So sin is the result of iniquity, when iniquity is played out. And so maybe an easier way of looking at it would be, have you ever heard the term blind spot? You have a blind spot. I have a blind spot. Okay, a blind spot is a fancy way or maybe a not-so-fancy way of saying iniquity. You have something in your life that you're not aware of that is causing you to act a certain way, leading you in a pattern of life that results in a sinful action. And when people try to bring it up to you, you get mad because it's iniquity. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, you have that. And then, you know, and you point out their blind spot, and, and that's what iniquity does. Iniquity is always looking to accuse and look out at, don't look at my pain. I want to, let's look at your pain. Let's look at the log in your eye. I don't want to focus on mine. That's no fun. Okay? So iniquity is a pattern of pressure that results in sinful actions that you are prone to. Okay, so... In your life, 
there are little pressure buttons. If you could imagine that you have this little red button on your head. You remember that red button on the desk? You push it, it goes, that was easy. Okay, well, that's the enemy. So you have this red button, right? And then he walks up to you, and he's like, oh, I want him to do this. And he knows the pressure patterns that all he has to do is push you the right way, and you'll react the way he wants you to. So he goes up, and he pushes your red button. That was easy. And you, the enemy's like, got him again. You know? And so the, God is all about exposing the areas in our life that the enemy uses to press our buttons. And then he wants to restore and heal those areas so, and armor them with the armor of God so the enemy can't get to them. It's like a big metal plate in the way. Where's the button go? The enemy gets frustrated. So these patterns that we develop in our life come from the three Ps. The three Ps. I'm going to say using this word three Ps occasionally, and it's shorter than saying prominent people, parents, and peers. Okay? Make sense? Okay, so prominent people in your life, your parents, and your peers throughout your life will all teach you patterns. That's why God is very careful about, you know, like saying, don't be unequally yoked with who you hang out with. You know, and we all know these nice little sayings. We know what the Bible has to say when say about it. But it's true. As you develop, as you're growing, as you're encountering new situations, the people around you will teach you how to deal with those situations. They'll teach you, well, step by step. Well, here's what I do. Count to 10, take a deep breath. You know, like the, you'll have, they'll have a pattern, right? And sometimes um, we learn these patterns without actively being taught from our parents, right? I mean, there are examples, for example. We look at your parent, we look at our parents, and we're like, okay, well, here's how we saw them dealing with something. And we say, I'll never be like that. And then later in life, when we encounter the same pressure, we follow the pattern we learned without being aware, consciously aware that we're doing it. And so the enemy will often draw you into sin using learned generational patterns that the demonic has observed and used with your ancestors to produce, encourage, and build upon a foundation of iniquity. This is often called a generational curse. So... Generational curses, some people hear curse and they think of a movie where they have like this idol that they stole or something like that. Don't take that, it's cursed. Bad things happen. And you take that thing and all of a sudden bad things happen. You're a victim of that. You have, you know, until you get rid of it and then do some kind of weird voodoo ritual, you won't get rid of the curse, right? That's not what a generational curse is, all right? It's not something that you automatically inherit from your parents and all of a sudden it's just like you have no choice in the matter. It's just going to happen whether you're not, you want it to or not. That's not what a generational curse is. A generational curse is a pattern of iniquity that you have learned from your parents and they learn from their parents and they learn from their parents. And at the same time, the enemy who has been watching your generation knows exactly how to trigger that pattern. Okay. Has anybody, has anybody done a study on iniquity before? Let me see your hands. Have you ever, I've talked about it before, so I hope you have. Okay. So these three Ps are very, very important when we're talking about this pattern of iniquity. And so iniquity play comes into play because of patterns, but patterns come into play because of conditioning. And I've talked about conditioning before. So... Conditioning is neither good nor bad. Let's just clear this up right now. Conditioning can be a very good thing. It can be also be a very bad thing, depending on how it's applied. 
So imagine that you are in the military and they are training you to be a fighter pilot. And they train you that in the moment, just like a wink of an eye, that when you see this happen, you have to do this. They teach you that because you're traveling at Mach 3 or whatever, and at, like milliseconds count, and you can't stand there and think, okay, I saw this, so that means I have to do this. It's too late. So they condition you to automatically, as soon as you get this stimulus, you do this without thinking about it, right? Draw, shoot. They teach police. Draw, shoot. Draw, shoot. They teach them stimulated-based responses because at a critical juncture when it matters most, that police officer or that military person or whatever needs to know exactly what to do without having to think it through, right? Because there's a lot riding on that. That's called conditioning. And so in the same way, when you repeatedly um, encounter a situation or a pattern of events, you will learn how to deal with that. And then when you are stimulated with those things, and those stimulated things can be events, they can be pictures, they can be words, they can be things that people say to you, you will be triggered and you will act out your response sometimes without being fully even in control of it. That's conditioning. So the enemy comes to you with the pattern that he knows you wounds. So he pushes your button and says, stands back and lets you do what you're going to do. It's not like the enemy has to guide your hand. The enemy just like, you know, I know he's going to do that, 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 and then ultimately result in this, and that's what I want to accomplish. So this one, that was easy, right? And so conditioning, conditioning can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. So conditioning is like a path in the forest. You've all gone for a walk in the woods or somewhere and you've been walking along this well-trodden dirt path and then on the side you'll see these little teeny dirt paths going off and you're like, oh, that's a game trail. You know, it's like, oh, it's a rabbit trail or a squirrel trail or whatever the case is. And you know because it has been trodden down. So in the same way in your mind, wherever your thoughts go too often, that becomes a mental pathway that you just can walk on without any great deal of effort. And I've used this example before and I love it because it's so applicable and everybody can relate to it. But sometimes when I'm going to the grocery store or the hardware store or to pick up my kids for music lessons, I drive to my office or halfway to the office. And then I'll be like, ah, I have to go the other way. And then I'll start driving the other way and then I'll go home. And I'll be like, dang it, I'm supposed to go, now I'm late. Okay, and I get pull in, Dad, where were you? I'm sorry, kids, you're just not as important as my mental conditioning. It's, like, it's not something you want to say to your kids, by the way. Yeah, so we get that. So you've probably heard this before. It's been oversaid, so I'm going to say it again, though. If you say it loud enough, often enough, what? The people will believe it. Who said that? Hitler said that. Hitler was a student of the mind. Okay. That's conditioning. It's interesting. If you hear something often enough and loud enough, you will begin to convince, you will be convinced that it's truth when it's not necessarily truth. And uh, conditioning is ultimately the purpose of it is to establish truth for you in your life that you will operate on. And it's true, like even in the natural sense. Like conditioning is to say, like, this is true and you will react on it because this is absolute truth. 
You don't have to think about it. You will just react. And so even our day-to-day -day lives, parents and peers aside, when you hear something often enough and loud enough, you start to believe that it's the truth. Teachers tell you in school, this is the way it is. Well, this agenda, that what we're teaching you, this principle, it's truth. If they say it loud enough and they give you enough examples and put enough pictures on the wall, you start to, oh, okay, it gets, a pattern has formed in your mind. That's true. And so this is why, as a Christian, we have such an important responsibility to read the Word of God and study it and meditate on it to form a pathway of response. We want God's buttons on our heads, not the enemy's red buttons. Yeah. Conditioning is not inherently evil. It is simply a fact of how we work, and conditioning is accomplished on the foundation of either fear or love. So... The reason conditioning is so effective is because it's a response to a stimulus, and the most powerful stimuluses are going to be love and fear, right? Fear, especially because we're built for natural, we're built for preservation. So we tend to either run at the problem, run away from the problem, or just stick our head down and hope it goes away, right? Usually those are the three major ones. And so when fear is introduced, we tend to respond very quickly to that. And so the enemy knows how to not only push your buttons in fear to get you to respond a certain way, the enemy will also start to introduce you to a chain of stimulus events in order to train you to respond in fear. And so this is why it's so important to take every thought captive. You bring these thoughts captive because the thoughts, the thoughts are the things that are trying to push your red button. And understand, too, that a part of conditioning isn't just a process you're doing. It's also a chain of feelings that you are to feel. So when you see something, and I'll give you an example of this for my own life. So we were having this conversation yesterday. And um, I said to Allison, and she's like, so, because we were talking about the message. She's like, so, Chris, what are, um, what's some of your pressure patterns? And I'm like, oh, well, right now I think the main one I'm, kind of trying to work on is the whole pressure to perform, because like, we've been talking about that. But I've been more aware recently of how much I have this in my life. And she's like, well, how so? And I say, well, you know, like, I've, I've always been under the impression that unless you work hard and you accomplish a lot, you're not, you're wasting your time, you're not really valuable, if it is what it comes down to. And so many of the ways that I was, I, I can be pushed or manipulated is if you will Say, start your conversation with me something along the lines of, well, I need you to step up. I need this done. You know, like, you're not getting enough done. Anything to do with, like, I need you to perform, right? And then anything that I infer or interpret is performance-based. So, for example, if Allison says to me, what are your plans this weekend for the room we're renovating? For me because I have a pressure to reform situation going on there, I jump the gun. All she wants to know is, what's your plan? Because she wants to know what my plan is. It's just an inquiry of information. But I have a red button sometimes if I'm, and I'm still putting armor over it and dealing with it and digging it out and stuff. But sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll let that red button turn into, well, I'm trying to get stuff done. And I, I immediately I'll get defensive. And I'm just like, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got this to do. So back off. I don't say back off, but I'm feeling like it, right? Like, I got all this stuff to do. Why are you asking me this? It's my weekend. 
right? Like at one day, just, <laughs> right? Even at work, I'm trying to train myself that when my eight hours is up, when the day is over, I walk away, right? And I'm not like, oh, I just got like 10 more emails to do and I just have, like, I really have to get this done. I have to, because there's always more the next day. It never stops, right? And so, but my performance pain, my pain is saying I have to perform. And so the pattern that I have is I'll get triggered by an image or somebody saying something or whatever that I interpret as pressure that you need to do something. And then it'll launch me on this, all this, like I really need to get this done. But I also get upset with everybody around me and myself for not being good enough, right? So, and we all have those kind of, those, those patterns in our life and it's a basis of, of conditioning. So if the conditioning or pattern of your response is based in fear, then it is iniquity or training to react out of fear. So a way of identifying your triggers and that kind of thing, like how you respond is, if you're responding out of fear, I'm not good enough, I have to do this more. Well, then that is a, that is a conditioning of the enemy. That is a conditioning of this world that is trying to keep you from the goodness and love of God and the, re the renewing power of the word in your life. That, is, that conditioning is designed to keep you in bondage. If that conditioning or pattern of your response is based in love, then it's holiness or sanctification to react out of love. So, for example, it's a really good thing to save somebody's life. Okay? So it's like if you see somebody that needs, they're in mortal danger and you can go help, it's a good thing for you without thinking to jump in and do something. That is a really good response, for example. Or if, you know, you, you see that your wife or somebody you love needs something and you just jump in without any thought for yourself. Like, I don't care about my time. I don't care about what I want to do. I, I'm supposed to be doing this for this person because that's love. Then that's a good response. You don't have to think about that one. Right? Those are good things that have been developed in your life. Those are godly things. Or when you jump in because you love God. right? So, for example, if somebody comes up to you and, or in conversation with somebody, they say something that you feel is contradictory to the word of God and they want you to do something, then you can build a mental pathway to take every thought captive in your life where you say, hold on, just, just a brief pause where you're like, analyze what they say before you let it settle in your soul. And you say, what is this thought's purpose? Is it good or is it bad? Is it, if it's good, let's let it in. If it's bad and it doesn't meet the criteria, let's bring that up to the Lord because God is all victorious and you have the authority to do this. So some thought examples of oppression in your life. Okay, and you've probably had some of these thoughts. I'm going to read some of these off. They're not all an all-inclusive list, by the way. There's too many, too many for that. You do not witness to enough people and see them saved. You are not acceptable to God. You are going, you are a gonging bell, and there is no presence of God in you. Okay, you've probably had, if you've ever had a thought along those lines, that's an oppressive, that is, a, that is, a, that is an enemy's thought. They are trying to trigger a pattern in your life of self-condemnation. And they want you to feel badly about yourself so that you aren't standing in the strength and power of God, but rather than your own failed ability. Okay? Um, if, you were, if you prayed more, people would serve God more. Not even yourself, but other people would serve God more. 
The reason the church is in the state it is, there's a reason there's no power in this person's life or that person's life, because you, you aren't praying enough for them. People get saved because I am proficient in my ability to convince them to be saved. If I could do this better, then this person would love me more. Okay, this is more directed to other people now. The first couple were folks of God. Now I'm looking at people. So if I could just do this thing better, then that person would love me more. It could be a significant other, an important person, a peer, or a parent. Um, if I do not cope with abuse and manipulation, then I do not love the person abusing me or even God. So if I do not just take what they're giving me, the abuse that this person is giving me, then I don't actually love God. It's proof that I don't actually have love in my heart for God or for this person. And that's a lie. If I want to be a strong person, I must suffer in the shame and silence in shame and silence. This is how God is teaching me to be patient. Has anybody had that thought before? I am sick and weary, dry and afraid, wandering the wilderness because God is teaching me a lesson I do not understand yet. That's not love. That's fear. That's not from God. Nobody likes me and they don't understand me. I'm the only one who deals with this and nobody else can understand. And everyone else has it easier than me. These are all pressure points or buttons in your life. The enemy is pushing when you have that thought. If you don't take it captive, the enemy is about to launch you out on a course of response, whether it be in the physical or in, the, or in a train of thought that manifests itself and, and works itself out in your mind and then results in you doing something that is ungodly. So right now, just take a second, and I would like just to say, Holy Spirit... You don't have to repeat after me. I'm just praying it. Holy Spirit, show each person here, bring to their mind the enemy's pressure point, that thing that is brought to their mind and to their soul that triggers them to an ungodly course of action. Now, most of you probably already have one right there, and it was probably already there before we even prayed because the Holy Spirit was already speaking to you. Praise God, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal the lies of the enemy, the deception of the enemy. If you suddenly found like you had something, a pattern that you became aware of, that's a blind spot that normally you wouldn't see and that the Holy Spirit is showing you. Okay, It's a path or a pattern of iniquity. Dealing with these things is actually quite simply done through the power of God, through the power of Christ on the cross. And remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. Christ has all authority, and if you are in Christ, then it's not you that lives, but Christ that lives within you. If you have the mind of Christ, then you have all authority and power to win every battle by submitting to that authority and renewing your mind through the scripture. Your mind can be conditioned to react in the right way. And every thought that comes, we must also submit to the Lord. So the pathway or reaction we want is to establish is, does this thought conform to, the ho- to holiness or to corruption. And so Allison's going to come up now and she's going to close her off. Wait, you just stay up here. It's fine. Um, all right, so 
the Holy Spirit just brought probably something to your mind, right? So let's just we're gonna we're gonna capture that. We're gonna just take authority over that. We're gonna we're gonna push back in the spirit a little bit against these lies. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, it's when these pressure patterns establish themselves. And so um, Chris asked that the Holy Spirit would bring something to your mind. And so we're going to just hold that thing captive. We're just going to hold that thing. And we're going to pray right now. And we're going to send it back. Because we're not going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Right? We're going to take our authority in Christ and take the truth of God into our hearts and push back the lies. We're going to push back from the wiles of the enemy. This was not planned, as you can tell. <laughs> okay. Well, Lord, we thank you for truth. We thank you, that God, that we have all authority in Christ Jesus to take these things captive and to recognize when we're being lied to and to recognize when it's not your finger that touches us but the enemy's. And so in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the enemy's finger and we break it in the name of Jesus. We just bend that finger backwards and we say no. You don't get to touch me. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have been made new. All old things have passed away. Every old pattern that was in my life prior to me coming to know the Lord as my Savior when I gave everything up is not a pattern that I choose to retain in my person. And so in the name of Jesus, I command all these patterns these mindsets to be exposed and dealt with systematically by the power of God, covered over by the blood of Jesus. And I ask that, Lord God, that they, everybody in this room would start on a journey of discovery where you, Holy Spirit, would speak to them throughout the week and say, there's another pattern. As the enemy attempts to attack them in the same old way, that, Holy Spirit, you would bring light to that each and every time to that situation and say, aha, there it is. Do you see it, Christian? Do you see it, dear son? Do you see it, dear daughter? There it is. And that you would give them not just the knowledge of it, but the understanding of how to deal with it. And that you have given us mighty tools to deal with those things, Lord God. We forgive people that have wronged us. It takes away the ground for that pattern to, take, to exist. We fill it in with love. Every, we declare love over every situation and pattern, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And we abolish fear by that love. We pull it down in the name of Christ Jesus. All right, so we want to create a new pattern, right? So when those thoughts come, you're going to just capture that and say, no, this is a lie. This isn't true. This is, this is fear in my life. And you're going to say, I'm going to refuse to believe that in the name of Jesus and just let it go. And you might have to say that 50 times. <laughs> Even if you're halfway down to the office. <laughs> you, can always turn, you can always turn around and go, damn. And uh, we're going to get more into um, how to deal with these things, as Pastor Travis said, because we're going through this process. So I think in a few weeks, actually, I'm, I'm speaking again specifically on uh, those steps we can take and how to get through that to remain victorious in Christ. So uh, we went a little over time. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, church is over now, so be blessed. And uh, we love you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.